Hello and welcome to the Film Pulse Podcast. This is episode number 220. My name is Adam Patterson. Joining me today, we got Kevin Rakestraw. How are you, Kevin? I'm doing okay. Fan-freaking-tastic. Mm-hmm. This week on the show, we'll be reviewing Zachary Trites' Men Go to Battle. We'll also be talking about some other stuff we've been watching on the watch list. Movie predictions, new on video on demand, Blu-ray releases. No news this week. There wasn't a whole lot. Uh, of news coming out so figured we'll just move into our review if that's okay with you we're just sliding right into it was there were there were there any pressing bits of movie news that you wanted to cover um no i don't think so i think we're good okay i would suggest that uh, any of you listening check out uh on the site kevin here did a an interview with frank mosley the director of her wilderness Check that out. Yeah, sure. It's good stuff. Check out the movie, too. It's on Fandor. Yeah. Plus his debut feature and another one of his shorts, I think from like 2014, I think. Three of them went up, man. Oh, how about that? Watch out. Check that out. That's up on the site now. And you can read his review, too. Now, Men Go to Battle, you also reviewed this one. I took over the website for the week. You did. I'm impressed. Call me. So... As I mentioned, this is directed by Zachary Trites. It's written by Zachary Trites and Caitlin Scheel. I have a synopsis here. Men Go to Battle is the story of two brothers struggling to hold their crumbling estate together outside a small Kentucky town in the fall of 1861. Uh, Now, since you wrote the review for this one, Kevin, I think that I will start it off. Uh, I enjoyed this one tremendously. It is a Civil War comedy, which is... Not something that I think I've ever seen before, and I want more of that, because I was thinking about it as as I was watching this, and I think that the Civil War could be a, a good theme for a comedy. You don't think it, this, you know, Civil War has been effectively mined for its comedy gold? I, I don't. I really don't. And this movie is proof of that. Now, I want, so it's, it's a very dry comedy. Don't go into it thinking that it's going to be, what's the, like a million ways to die in the West. Is that the name of the Seth? uh, Yeah. Something one. Yeah. Don't think that it's going to be that. We're not talking goof spoof here. This is uh, a very, very kind of minimalist, dry dialogue based comedy. Yeah. There's, There's not, there's not a whole lot of laugh out loud moments, honestly, in it. No, it's just mostly them, the two leads, just really just being in really awkward moments. Yeah, and, and it's just mumbling. And that's and that's the funny thing. There there are certain things that made me laugh in this movie that weren't even necessarily jokes, but just the way that they delivered the lines. Yes, just made the way laugh. the way they interact with each other. The entirety of them trying to cook poultry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was funny. That was funny. Uh, and again, it's not, it's not really, they're not jokes or anything. It's just two guys like half drunk trying to cook chicken or some sort of game bird over an open fire. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're not doing a good job. And yeah. with, when they buy, when hit the one brother buys the, the mules and just buys more, the, two, the two mules because they got yeah. a good deal on them. Timothy <laughs> Morton, who plays Henry, his reaction to. <laughs> The news. Yeah. Uh, I should mention the cast here. So, Timothy Morton and uh, who's the... David Maloney plays Francis, the other yeah. brother. And those two are both from New Cops. Yeah, so if you've, if you've seen New Cops or if you heard us review it or our interview with uh, Timothy Morton, that both of those guys are from New Cops. Yeah. And, man, they, they're just... They, I I don't know if this movie would have worked if they weren't in it. Like I just yeah, I can't imagine this movie not existing without them because I feel like that they were now granted. So, uh, Caitlin Shiel is in this for a little bit and, uh, Rachel Corinne is in it too. And she's yeah. pretty funny in it. Yes. The, uh, the, the scene with her crying after <laughs> she gets kissed is just, it's just perfect. It's just spot on. 
which you can see that in the trailer too, which is kind of unfortunate. The the trailer for this movie is it's great because it's like they kind of show it in reverse, and then they show some of the kind of the weird tone that this movie has. But unfortunately, a lot of the funniest moments are in that trailer. Because my favorite my favorite moment in this whole movie is when he goes in and first talks to her in the like the general store and just the awkward well well well, well, well all right well, have a good day just that interaction i thought was so funny and it makes me laugh every time i watch it in the trailer but it's also kind of an interesting take on this time period because basically what happens is it's these two brothers. They're trying to hold on to... They're trying to basically get by. Their land is pretty much garbage at this point. It's so overgrown. They can't keep after it. And they, so they try selling it. But nobody's wanting to buy it. And then there's an accident that occurs when they're getting, when they're getting drunk one night. Which sort of causes the, the one brother to go enlist in the army. <laughs> And fight in the Civil War, but then something happens where he ends up deserting, and it's just, I don't even know how to describe this movie. Like, what, like what's the tone of this movie? I don't even, it's I, an, I can't even put my finger on it. It's an odd, there's an odd tone to it, because to me, I, it did, I mean, number one, they do a fantastic job of capturing Civil War 1861, at least for me. I mean, I don't, I don't know what the hell 1861 looked like, but this looks pretty damn close. Yeah. So they do a fantastic job of that. There's the comedy. It, it is odd because the comedy is, it feels pretty modern. It does. It, because it, the way so, that they talk to is, is, feels somewhat modern. Because it's, it's, that, it's that type of comedy that we've all come to see done over and over and over again, where it's just awkward interactions over and over and over again. People can't connect with each other. And Timothy Morton character, you know, just ends up just, he just leaves. <laughs> and I thought, I just love how that, how all that transpires. He just leaves. And then yeah, he just disappears. <laughs> and then all of a sudden it's civil war movie. <laughs> <laughs> and they do one, one thing I was kind of surprised with is that they actually do show some battles. Yes. Like which was, that was one of the things going into this that I was, I was kind of, I would say, curious to see if they would go that path, mm-hmm. if they would go full on battle, and it, to, you know, to see how that they would, uh, how they would capture that. Yeah. And I gotta say, they do a pretty damn good job. Yeah, it's there's only really what one one battle scene. Yeah, but there's there's kind of a montage that that has some stuff in it, but then there's there's really just one that they kind of focus on. Yeah, more, I mean, but, more of the focus is on the, you know, the, the in-between stuff. Yeah. They just march into their next spot mm-hmm. and then the camp monotony, it out. The yeah. monotony of war that you, you don't get to see too much. I think Jarhead was probably one, one of the few movies that, that put a focus on that. But just, and it's really interesting to see Timothy Morton's character where in every situation, he's just, he's just like the nicest guy. Even though he's he isn't he's participating in the Civil War, yeah. <laughs> but just like when they robbed that guy's house, mm-hmm. he, you know he's being like as friendly as can be, and I just I don't think he quite understands. He's just kind of a guy that happening. goes with the flow. Like he just goes with the flow. He's just he's. I think he just ran away and he kind of just signs up for this because it was. It was kind of like a structure for him. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, someone was able to, to map out his days for him, which I guess made it easier for him. But again, I just, I don't, I don't think he fully comprehends what's, what's going on or what he's, what he's in the middle of here. No, I think when he does realize that that's when he runs, that's when he's like, I got to get out of here. This is craziness. And that's when he decides to, you know, start heading home. Yeah, because I think I, at the beginning, I think he just saw it as like, oh, it's a bunch of guys camping out. Yeah, like, yeah. I do this with my brother all the time. This is fun. And clearly he didn't really have any kind of uh, horse in the game, so to speak, because there was like that, that one scene when he interacted with, with the other soldier and was, you know, perfectly fine. Yeah. 
he, yeah, even <laughs> like that entire interaction. I don't think he even thought that he could be a threat. He's just like, oh, hey. Yeah. Hi. Yep. What are you doing? Hey, it's a nice little stream we got. Down here. <laughs> it's a nice day, isn't it? And I, it is. It's really interesting to to consider. Um, and this is something that I thought of, and I keep coming back to new cops. But seeing this, having seen new cops first, it just it made things funnier. Like every time I see David Maloney in this movie, all I can think of is him <laughs> rapping in new cops. So I just laugh as soon as yeah. I see him. Yeah, and he, I mean yeah, he's I not doing right. he's not doing anything funny. It's just just his presence is funny. I just like their voices. Like they're just their voices made me laugh. Just him, him pointing out corn, <laughs> which I need a I need a gif of that. Just him pointing and yelling out corn. You probably uh, make make that happen. I I don't know where to start. I tried making a gif once. No, it worked. It well, it's, yeah, gift. but you don't know that it took me four and a half hours to do oh. that. <laughs> It's like a whole process. Corn. <laughs> it's just, uh, it's just such an odd little film. It is. It's it is an odd it's this, film. It's this like very sincere character study, like nestled inside this like awkward comedy, and then just to like make it even odder, it's like hey, let's do it in the Civil War. Why not? Yeah, I think it's that it's perfect that it's in the Civil War. Because like there's the, the, there's a large portion of this movie, like the Civil War doesn't show up for a long time, right? And you're just kind of like, is like, is the Civil War actually part of this movie? Like, I don't quite understand. Like, is there going to be Civil War bits? Yeah, and I got and the way that it was handled too is because I mean I don't know about you, but um, and I'm sure that you probably agree with me a little bit here. Growing up near Gettysburg, oh god, yeah. Like, you get sick and tired of the Civil War. Well, yeah. Plus, my my uncle's a Civil War historian, so I got a lot of that. So you tell me Civil War, um, my first thought is nope. (laughs) No. No, thank you. Yeah. I've I've walked those fields. No thanks. Remember, you know, you do that field trip where you go and you get your little card and someone has to carry the flag. Uh, I was the flag carry. Carrier. Yeah, and then they and say I your died. name. Yeah, and then you die, and you got to the closest person had to pick up the. And uh-huh. you do the like, field trip for like three hours. It's just kids walking in a field and dying. <laughs> <laughs> like what the fuck? <sighs> yeah, I'm not. I'm not a huge Civil War buff. I no. think it's an. In, I think it's a very interesting war. Uh, I, I certainly have a, a more a bigger appreciation for it now than when I did. Well, yeah, as a definitely. kid, but I guess that I think you could probably say the same thing about any any type of history. But um, yeah, that going into it, knowing that it was a comedy taking place in the Civil War, that was what kind of intrigued me, and the fact that that uh, Tim Morton was in it. And yeah. It was written by Caitlin Shield, and I was like, okay, I'm I'm intrigued already. So yeah, now I definitely was not let down with this one. No, not at all. I will say that. It's it's not a comedy for just anyone though. It's you definitely need to understand what you're getting into and know what to expect. It's yeah, not you have to be a fan of this type of comedy. Yeah. And yes. it does another thing that because the like the chemistry and the interactions with Maloney and Morton, the, it it does get a little rough when they kind of split apart. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Morton still does a fantastic job of carrying the film from there, from that point, you know, up until the end. But you do, you kind of miss it because it is, it is just, it's a lot of fun just being around those two. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there is kind of a love story they they sort of shoehorn in that I maybe wanted to see developed a little bit more, or just not in there at all. But no, I guess it was okay that it was in there. I just wanted. To it to be developed a little bit more because it seemed like there was sort of a love triangle happening. Well, and I think, I think it goes to show more of, you know, the Morton's character of Henry, where it's just like, as soon as he realizes that like, it's not, you know, that this situation isn't, he just leaves, you know what I mean? Like it's, you know, she starts crying. He's like, Oh, he just, (laughs) 
he just leaves. <laughs> he got so unmarried, he's like, uh, and he leaves. Yeah. <laughs> you know, battlefield, nobody around. Yeah, I'll just leave. Just like he kind of knows. He knows, like, ah, oh, this isn't for me. I'll just head out. And he just kind of like slinks off. Yeah, <laughs> it, it just, it's just kind of funny because it it reminded me of, of me how I would how I just leave. Oh, it definitely <laughs> reminded me of you. Where that I is exactly what you do. I don't say bye or anything. I just leave. Where'd Kevin go? <laughs> Wait a minute. He was just here. What happened to him? His car's gone. It just it's so much easier to just leave instead of like you know verbalizing i've like done the- it before <laughs> i i know i totally understand but i do understand being you know thinking about the other side of that of like holy shit he just disappeared like is he okay yeah i've I've definitely been there before so men go to battle definitely recommending this one um for people that like slow-paced uh very dry comedies if you're if you're into that type of thing, if you're into the whole mumblecore thing, uh, then yes, I think you should definitely check out Men Go to Battle. And this is like the purest like um, mumblecore. Like I've never really understood. I can't. I still don't really know what the hell a mumblecore movie is. I don't really but, either. But while watching this one, I was thinking like, yeah, they mumble a lot. So this yeah, is they, like, they, yeah, they literally, there's a lot of actual mumbling in this. So yeah, This is like pure mumblecore, I guess. But I, I don't know if that's like the, is that the defining element of mumblecore? I would imagine because it's in the title. You would have to. Yeah, I guess. Mumble. I guess. I don't know. But I don't know either. Uh, this is playing in select cities right now. I do not think this is on VOD. I think it's only in theaters right now, unfortunately. But I feel like this is one that could easily uh, pop up on VOD in the near future. It's probably got one of those short run in limited release and then plop it on VOD. Yeah. I don't know who released this. Uh, Film movement. Oh, film movement. Yeah. That's funny. It doesn't even say that on uh, IMDb. Oh, really? No, they're not even listed. All right, that's Men Go to Battle. Uh, Kevin, I think you gave this an 8 out of 10 on the site. Is that correct? That is correct. I'm going to give this one a 7.5. Nice. Yep. Solid movie. <laughs> Check it out. Probably one of my probably one of my top 10s so far this year. Yeah. I'd have, I'll have to go back and look at the list. But it's, it's definitely up there because I had, I had a lot of fun with this one. I did as well. It's definitely top 10 for me for right now, I would say. Yeah, I don't I don't know if it'll it'll stay that up there, but yeah, definitely check it out. All right, let's talk about some of what we've been watching on the watch list. Kevin, I think it's your turn to start it this week. Oh shit. Mark what have you been watching? Oh well, since you asked. Uh I watched uh The Little Girl Who Sold the Sun from nineteen ninety nine. This is a Diop Mambate movie. This is my first of his. And uh, it's one of those, like, in-betweeners. It's 45 minutes, so it's kind of like a short feature, I guess. I don't know. Um, but holy shit, this movie is just, it's so nice. It's just a nice, uplifting movie. It's about uh, this little girl in Senegal who, she has, uh, like, crutches. She has a uh, physical handicap with her leg and everything. And she normally she spends her day, like, uh, with her blind grandma just begging on the streets. And then she sees like all these little kids selling newspapers. And when they sell newspapers, they just like run up. It's like 10 of like 10 kids. And you were talking like eight years old, nine years old. They just run up and they just harass people and try to get them to buy newspapers. I mean, just, Mm. just run right up and just start grabbing at their shirt and stuff and taking the hat and everything. So she decides that she's going to sell newspapers, which, you know, girls don't normally do in Senegal. So she goes to get some newspapers and she this there's the this one guy that kind of helps her out and then she she is fucking killing it in the newspaper game just selling newspapers left and right and it's just it's so happy which is just really really nice to have a movie like that it was his last film was it yeah oh, that's a bummer yeah he died in 1998 I mean, it does feel like there's a little bit of a subtext here because she sells the government paper, 
the guy that helps her out sells the people's paper. Mm-hmm. Mm. And uh, she's extremely successful. People are always buying her papers and stuff. I mean, the first time that she goes out, a guy just comes up and he's like, I'll buy all your papers and just gives her money. And then she's done for the day. And like all the other kids are pissed off. And, uh, and you know, you kind of got to wonder a little bit if, you know, she's kind of making this based off of like sympathy and pity. Plus also the fact that she's not badgering people and harassing them because she can't. She has to like sit off to the side with just like the papers in her lap. Right. People come up to her. So that's kind of helping her out. Hmm. Okay. And um, what was the name of that again? Sorry. Uh, Little Girl Who Sold the Sun. This is on Fandor. Okay. Check it out on Fandor. Uh, I saw Zero Days. This is the new Alex Gibney documentary. It's about the Stuxnet virus. Oh, boy. And cyber warfare. Uh, I like Alex Gibney. I think he's like the master of the talking head documentary. I think that he has it down to a science at this point. Cause he, cause he comes out like five movies a year. The dude is just the hardest working documentarian. I think in the business right now, (laughs) but they're all really good. Like he, he consistently makes good documentaries and they're not anything flashy. They're not, they don't do anything crazy. But they are extremely informative, and they're really, really impeccably structured. Like, you know, this is a pretty dense topic, so it's not, it doesn't just cover the Stuxnet virus, which in and of itself is a pretty massive story, and and a really interesting one. But he has to, in order to, like, put this this whole thing into context, you, you have to learn some, you have to learn something about, you know, our relationship with Iran and our relationship with Israel, and then, like, the conflict that's happening between Iran and Israel, and where we were at, um, like, in the, in, like, 2007, 2006, like, that time period. So there's a lot of history you have to kind of understand before fully grasping what this specific virus was all about. And, you know, basically, if you're not familiar, the Stuxnet virus was a it was a computer virus that was meant to target uranium enrichment facilities okay, i believe okay. is what they would in order to it's basically the the facilities used to enrich uranium in order to make uh nuclear weapons so we knew that iran was making these factories to enrich this uranium and this virus appeared and the more that researchers looked into what what this because they didn't know what it was or what it did at first and the more they kind of broke down the code they learned like okay this is a a highly sophisticated virus that is used to basically destroy the turbines that are enriching the, the uranium so that they basically explode and it's sort of it was sort of designed to set their their end date back to, to slow them down in their process of making nuclear weapons and all of this information is still very highly classified to this day in the US nobody nobody wants to talk about it and that's kind of one of the big things that the film discusses is that a lot of the people that he interviews like former NSA people and stuff like that uh they cannot talk about it because it's still classified and what the the kind of crux of the whole movie is is there's this cyber war that's happening all kind of covertly throughout nation states and it's something that if it doesn't eventually get discussed and kind of be brought out in the open that we could be in some serious trouble because there's no regulations there's no like w- like law um against what's happening here and Eventually, something really terrible is going to happen, and nobody's going to even know what's going on. Like nobody can prepare for it. Oh, jeez! And so it's a, it's a kind of a, it's a scary documentary, yeah, but totally. uh, at the at the same time, it's it's really really fascinating to learn how this virus came to be and how it infiltrated this this plant, which was air gapped, meaning that it was cut off from the internet. So, like, they had to figure out a way to get it in there without, you know, having direct access through the internet. 
So the, the, some of the methods that they came up with were really ingenious. And some of the things that this thing did were like pretty, pretty incredible. Um, but either way, it's a, it's a very interesting documentary. And I would uh, definitely recommend checking it out. It's called Zero Days. And I believe it is on VOD. <laughs> we're all screwed, by yeah, the way. I was going to say, it's, it's terrifying. Yeah. I mean, the, the, if you watch Zero Days, this is what you should do. If you're going to go ahead, speak, I'm speaking to like listeners here. If you go out and you watch yourself some Zero Days, then watch uh, the, the little girl who sold the sun. Brighten your day up a little bit. There you go. There was, there was one other quick thing about this movie that I, I'd just like to mention. There was uh, one person that he interviewed who was actively in the NSA and was willing to divulge details. Um, and the way that he hid the person's identity was that he hired an actress to play the person. And nice. he al- so like he, and it, but then he altered the actress's voice and then added this like kind of dis- like graphical distortion that was it was pretty cool looking. And it was kind of an interesting way that he was able to get around like making sure that this person stays completely anonymous. Yeah. But then like he revealed at the very end that it wasn't just one person, that it was a whole slew of people that were willing to divulge this highly classified information for the sake of transparency, but they didn't want like anything, any like their their name, their likeness, like nothing. Oh, shit. So he kind of compiled this this testimony together and yeah, had one actress one actress yeah so it was kind of an interesting way to to deliver that information Hmm. that's interesting Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh i watched fear city from 1984 abel ferrera this is a movie i never saw this one i never did either and i'm like abel ferrera and this is this is tom berenger right like i didn't really realize that tom berenger was like a like legit actor oh yeah i didn't know that um so that's what that's what led me to watch this because it's Ferrera Berenger action. Okay, it's sleazy New York City. Hmm. That's what Ferrera does. Oh my God, it's so sleazy. Like the whole, the whole opening to this is just because it, it's centered around strippers. So it's just it's complete sleaze. Um, and so what's happening here is you got Tom Berenger and his buddy. They run this service where. They're kind of like the agents for all these strippers, and they they set up for you know they set up all the schedules for these for these exotic dancers, you know, book them at different clubs and stuff, and then they got to recoup their money and everything. So they're they're on top of stuff. But what's happening here is there's a crazy white guy who's really into martial arts hmm. that's tracking down strippers and fucking them up with all sorts of blades. Okay, mm. he start, first he starts out with scissors, right? And he's just a little stabby, cutting fingers off. Not that big of a deal. I mean, it's kind of a big deal because fingers are important. But where he where he takes it to, he starts out small. Okay. Next thing you know, he's well. Actually, one time he uses nunchucks, which is kind of funny. I've never yeah. seen someone actually like use nunchucks to fuck someone up. It seems really bizarre to do that. But then he graduates to he just pops around a corner one time with a samurai sword and just samurai sword to a person just in the middle of New York City. And the interesting thing about this movie is Ferrer spends so much time showing this guy, like, you know who the serial killer is, like, right off the bat. Because he's in this, like, empty loft apartment that's like his dojo type thing. And he's always doing martial arts. And, I mean, he's really into his martial arts. I mean, he is, like, super flexing the entire time. He's doing his shit all the time. And he, even when he's out on the street, like, attacking, like, he still wears the whole getup, which I found odd. Like, he still has the headband, like, the black belt <laughs> headband in, like, his karate outfit, which you would you would think that you would maybe dress down so people wouldn't notice you. But I guess if you have a samurai sword, it doesn't really matter. Um, and uh, so all this time spent with this guy doing his martial arts. So comes down to the end. Big show off between Tom Berenger, who plays an Xboxer, by the way, versus this this white guy doing his martial arts stuff. And Tom Berenger just beats the shit out of him. And he doesn't even have like great form. Like his boxing skills aren't that great. He just kicks the shit out of him. Which is funny because like earlier on, the guy does like a drop kick to his buddy 
to Behringer's buddy, drop kicks him in the face, puts him in a fucking coma, right? Just one single drop kick puts him in a coma, and he can't fuck up Tom Berenger in a back alley? Like, give me a break. <sighs> I did not like this movie, by the way. This is just, it's awful. They, they, like, the music sucks. Like, it, the cinematography I'm not a fan of. The acting I'm not a fan of. The story I'm not a fan of. I'm just you not really, really a fan like of it. Ferrara, do you? I do like Ferrara. I'm like, I'm, there's no middle with him, it seems like. I either really love his movies or i just i absolutely hate them hmm. all the ones that i like you probably wouldn't like wouldn't oh, yeah. know, i guess actually i don't know i don't know you if think? that's true yeah i'm not yeah. i'm not the biggest fan of his but uh, admittedly i have not seen i i've probably i haven't even seen half of his filmography i haven't seen that much either but i'm always interested even though that i have that like i'm either gonna love it or i'm gonna hate it i'm still if they're like hey, hey a Ferrara movie on movie, I'm like, oh, awesome. I mean, yeah, I mean, sometimes it's uh, sometimes you're just in the mood for some sleaze. Well, yeah. And Ferrara, you know, he does he does sleaze well. I'll give him that. You 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 know you're gonna get sleaze. He is quite good at that. You should check out Ms. Forty Five. I do. Curious. I do want to see that one. I'll be curious to see what you think of that one because that was the one right before Fear City, I think. Maybe. I'll check that one out. Yeah. Uh, I saw, so next week we're going to be covering, uh, the Japan cuts film festival that's happening here in New York city. Um, one of the ones that I saw in preparation for that is a documentary that's going to be premiering there called DC. How do you say his name? No idea. Shion Sono. Uh, I'm a big fan of, uh, this director. I think, well, we'll get into it, I guess, with the whispering star next week. Uh, we're gonna be we're gonna be dire- uh, reviewing that one for sure because I just I saw that this week as well and it's pretty uh, pretty incredible. But um, it's a documentary about Cienzono, who, if you're not familiar with his filmography, he directed um, Why Don't You Play in Hell. He did Tokyo Tribe, both of which we reviewed on on this show. He did Suicide Club, aka Suicide Circle, which I freaking loved. Still, probably one of my favorite movies of his. Yes. I just think that movie's so incredible. <laughs> I remember, because uh, I, I used to watch that movie so much, and I actually, my, my stepdad watched it with me. <laughs> and wow, talk about an experience. That was fun. <laughs> <laughs> I remember I had the only, because they didn't, it wasn't released in America. They did not release this movie in America. It is now, but it wasn't back then. And I remember the copy, remember the copy I had? It was like really... It was like a legit copy, I think, but it looked completely bootleg in every way. It was yeah, I don't know if it was it's a legit really copy. weird. I don't know if it was a legit copy, dude. I, yeah, maybe not. <laughs> maybe it wasn't. Because <laughs> I remember because the, the disc looked really weird. It looked like it was some kind of some some dude just printed out the <laughs> label for the disc. It was just it was a weird copy. But I love that movie and Cold Fish was great. Norco's Dinner Table was yeah. It was okay. And then he did hair extensions too, which was creepy as all get out. Anyway, this this documentary just kind of chronicles the life of him and it follows him last year. And so in twenty fifteen, he released five movies last year, feature length. And it so the documentary just follows him while he's preparing, shooting, making these movies, and it just it, the the documentary sort of like that uh, Nicholas Winding Refn documentary that came out last, I think it was like last year, uh, where it doesn't really go over too much of like his his filmography as much as it just follows him. It just follows him around in this time period, yeah, in, in this period of his life. And he's an I didn't know it, but he's in a band too. He's in a rock group, and he is an like an artist. Like he paints. Jesus Christ. So he is, uh, and the dude just never, it's like, he's never not working. It's crazy. He is, they, they call him the hardest working director in Japan. And it sounds like it. I, I, at this point I'd believe it. I used to think the Mieke was pretty crazy when it came to releasing tons of movies, but I think Sono may have him beat. Cause he just, uh, there was, it was funny. He, in, 
one part of the movie, he gets an award, and during his speech, he said, uh, he goes, my motto is quantity over quality. He's like, because... He's like, because if you just throw everything out there, eventually something's going to stick. <laughs> and, he, and that's kind of just what it is. I mean, he just... And, and, like, all of his movies are wildly different, too. Like, sure. wildly different. Like, he's not... It's, it's impossible to, like, shoehorn this guy into something. Like, I, he made a lot of horror movies, but he really... He likes to kind of travel outside of that, too. And I think that uh, when we discuss Whispering Star, you'll find that it's that's definitely not anything like any of his other movies but the documentary itself was not great it was just i don't know kind of it was actually kind of boring mm. in a way there were large chunks that like it wasn't very poor it wasn't very well like put together um like the titles and transitions look kind of kind of cheesy and uh large portions of the film were dedicated to him just like painting and you know, it was kind of interesting to see his method at first, but they lingered on it for way too long. And most of the movie is just him getting drunk and, t- like, talking about, like, his method and stuff. <laughs> like, his craft. I, he's, he's an, he admits to being an alcoholic, too. So he's, like, drunk throughout most of everything. They do interview some of the actors that he worked with, uh, and that was... That was also interesting because they would talk about like the audition process and how he showed up drunk like like 25 minutes late. And <laughs> it's just kind of just funny little anecdotes about him. He's definitely an interesting guy. Uh, the documentary itself, eh, he wasn't sound, too into it. He sounds like he could be my hero. <laughs> he's, he's pretty great. And uh, his movies, like... I will just automatically see any of his movies. Well, yeah. I don't even need to know what they're about. I'll just, I'll watch them. You never know what you're going to get. He's always interesting. You at least guy. I mean, his movies aren't boring. There's one scene where he, he like rushes home one night and he goes in and he sits down and he get, grabs a pad of paper and he just storyboards for like 20 minutes and just like, cr- just crazy, frantically storyboarding. And when you see the, the end result, you're just like, holy crap, this guy's a genius. Like, he just, he basically just storyboarded an entire movie in like 20 minutes. And he just, he knew every shot, every angle, every frame. And he just has all this stuff in his head. It's like, he's just this endless idea factory. <laughs> he's a machine. He is a machine. It's, I mean, has anyone, has anyone proved that he's not a machine? Because he could That's be a good a question. It could be a machine. I don't know. That's I'm gonna go question. ahead. I'm gonna go ahead and say it's a machine. And the, the thing is, like the whole quantity over quality thing. It's like his movies are quality, though. Like he he's probably one of the few people that can that can crap out five feature films in a year, and they're all. I mean, I haven't seen all of them, but they're probably all good. Yeah. He just has a very unique vision, and all his movies are are completely unique like it's not like he's nicholas sparks and he puts out the same movie every year you know all of his movies are just so unique without a doubt but at any rate the documentary is called the shian sono so if uh if you're really into his movies maybe give it a look and um i think that's the one too that was that's uh directed by oshima's son oh really the great oshima hmm interesting yeah uh, I watched uh, Real Life from 1979. This is an Albert Brooks comedy. That oh, is, I, this is the, uh, it's like a mockumentary, right? A little bit. This is on, uh, it's on Netflix right now, on the instant there. I've been trying to see this for oh so long. It, th- Dude, this was so hard to find. Jump on Netflix tonight, tomorrow, whenever you get time, and watch this thing. Because, oh my God, is it amazing. I've seen this movie before when i was younger and like maybe two years ago i was scouring the internet looking for this thing because i've been meaning to rewatch it because i remember it being so funny and it's like uh it's like somebody making a documentary about like the well it's, uh, it's the albert family, brooks right? it's albert brooks playing albert brooks yeah and, and he's he making a documentary yeah. about like family the family because it's family, all because right? it's all this is all coming off the heels of that the pbs you know the the cinema verte that, that came out the i forget what it was called like an american family or something along those lines 
they kind yeah. of like revolutionized everything and you know so he he decides to do the same thing in the film and he's like i'm gonna spend a year with his family and just capture everything his only direction is be yourselves so there's this like whole introduction of like how they how they pick the family because he uses like all these scientists and behavioral specialists and they have all these tests to come up with the the family who is it's you know the family's not like an actual it's the dad's charles groden you know it's it's a fake family but anyways you know he moves in across the street and he's not supposed to like interact with family too much he can't alter the reality he just wants to capture real life but he's extremely self-centered and narcissistic and he is just constantly in their lives and everything goes to hell and it is just it is so damn funny to watch there is one scene in particular which charles Grodin plays a, he's a veterinarian and there's this whole thing where he's gonna have he has to do open heart surgery on a horse and they're super psyched because it's gonna be a great moment for the film there's this long long build-up of them prepping the horse getting everything ready and just the entire build-up to what is the punchline at the end of the scene and just Groden's reaction to what happens, it's just, it's fantastic. And then the ending as well, it's just, I mean, kind of comes out of nowhere because Brooks just kind of loses his mind. And it's just, oh man, it's something, it's something else. Yeah, and I, and I, even I, considering nowadays too, like this is 1979, but a lot of the stuff that he's touching on it's really relevant. Yeah, this this was when he was working with SNL. I don't know if you remember, but the early in the early days of SNL, he would make short films for for yeah yeah Saturday Night Live. And I think that this was I don't know if this was before or after he was doing those. I'm guessing I don't know, but I remember all of his short films that premiered at, on SNL were hilarious. Yes, they were good. I kind of forgot about those. I mean, this is, he, he wrote this along with Monica McGowan Johnson and uh, Harry Shearer. Okay. And that's when, yeah, and Harry Shearer was on SNL during, actually, no, I think he was on later. Now I think about it. Either way, same crew. Oh, it's so great. That's great. I'm going to watch that tonight. I can't wait. It's all about, that's why we do this show. Um, the only other one that I saw was uh, The Whispering Star. So I'm going to save my thoughts on that until next week when we do a full review on it but um i'll say it is a black and white uh science fiction movie about an android yes delivery person who delivers packages throughout the galaxy oh god are you kidding me and it is what did somebody say hold on it was um what did they say they said it was like the sci-fi version of gene dealman And uh, when you see it, you'll realize, like, yeah, that's pretty much what this is. Like, it is slow. I mean, nothing. I mean, a lot happens, but nothing happens. It's one of those things. Nice. Where it's... But I I will say that this is probably Sono's most beautiful film. Mm -hmm. Uh, But that's that's all I'll say. I don't want to give... I don't want to give too many of my thoughts away just yet. Well, you saw it. Oh, yeah. I mean, as soon as I saw it, I was like, this has to be one that we cover. Like, this is right up both of our alleys. Nice. I only saw one other, and that is on Amazon. I picked up the old Midnight Special. Jeff Nichols. Jeff Jeff Nichols. With Michael Shannon action. Joe Edgerton. Kirsten Dunst. Who I mean the perform all the performances are pretty solid. Um, but Kirsten Dunst kills it in this movie. She does a fantastic job. Just I like Joel Edgerton a lot in this. Yeah, he was good too. You saw this? Yeah, I saw it in the theater. Oh. I talked about it. I don't remember. We talked about so many movies. <laughs> I know. <laughs> he was good in this. I wish I saw this in the movie theater. I gotta be honest. Within like the first ten minutes of this thing, I was just like, damn it, this is a theater movie yeah it's uh and i was hooked from the get-go i'm not gonna lie i was just immediately hooked i just how they just like kind of throw you right in the middle he doesn't nichols doesn't really give too much away i mean it kind of gives you information 
here and there throughout, but he never fully disseminates like what's actually like what the kid's power is. And maybe you can help me with this because I was thinking this is kind of like your turbine situation that you had earlier. <laughs> that you know the kid has the the eye thing going on and it shuts down cars and electric and all that stuff. What are those called? There's like those kinds of attacks. EMPs. Where, EMPs. Yes. Oh my god! I spent last night for like four hours trying to figure out that acronym. I think the word I was thinking of was centrifuge. Oh okay. Yeah, I think that's what they are. They're centrifuges. Or turbines. I mean, you can go with either one, really. Yeah. I'm just really happy that we figured out what we were looking for. <laughs> what a great day. <laughs> Today was a full success. <laughs> we nailed it. Just for us. I mean, this show is just for us, really. Yeah, it is. <laughs> uh, and I just, I, th- I thought the effects were, were great as well. Just the, you know, the little touches here and there his like his powers and you know that when he's thrown up on the side of on the side of the highway how everything kind of dies around him Mm. like Mm. radiates outward it's just it's there's always like a mystery to it throughout it's it's just it's just cryptic enough where you're not quite sure what the hell's gonna happen so i couldn't wait till the end to figure out what is this like what is his power what is What's the point? What is what is happening here? And even though I wasn't a hundred percent on board with the ending, I think the execution of it right. alone kind of made up for it. It's one of those I mean, movies where no matter the, the the intrigue and the buildup is at such a high level that almost anything they reveal would be a letdown yeah. because you want to keep that yeah that, exactly. uh, that intrigue and that and that buildup. You want to keep it going. So when they finally do reveal, you know, the end game, when they, when they go to the place that they're going to, it's like, oh, okay. But I, I agree with you. I think that because they, they, they almost save, it's like they save their effects budget for that last bit. And you're just like, whoa, like, I thought that looked really good. Yeah, it does. It looks fantastic. And just everything that happens in that. And you're kind of right. You know, it is, it does feel because the buildup is so you know, the way in which he does it, I think is so well done that, you you know, you're right. I think I would be kind of let down with whatever it, you know, would end up being. But even then, I'm, I'm happy enough that he, you know, he gave you a glimpse of what it is, but he still didn't really explain a whole lot. Like no, he left, yeah. He There's left still a lot of mysteries. Yeah, I mean, like, almost everything is a mystery, really. Yep. Definitely, uh, definitely has a little bit of an Amblin vibe, a little bit of an ET vibe to it. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. I would agree with that. And uh, I, I liked, Enjoyable. I liked all of that stuff. I think that some people going into this thinking that it's going to be some kind of like superhero comic book movie are are going to be, you know, sorely mistaken. Yes, but there's just some really great moments like that, like that down satellite, mm-hmm. like that caught me off guard. Yeah, was like oh shit, yes. Yeah, I was. I like, I was, I like uh, this movie a lot. I was pleasantly surprised. I think Jeff Nichols is pretty great. I could, I could see him. I could see like the big studios looking at this movie and picking him up to do something. You know, like a Marvel movie or something. But don't just keep giving him money to do what he wants to do. Except unless it's like something like Mud, then don't give him money for that. <laughs> I like him a lot. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. Does he have? Does he have a new movie lined up? I don't even. Yeah. Um. It just played festivals too. Loving. Oh, loving. Called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. That's the one with um, the the girl from Preachers in it, Ruth Nega, mm-hmm. and Joel Edgerton. Oh yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. Nice. That's probably good. That one's a. Uh, I think a lot more low key, but still midnight special. Definitely check that out. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's, let's talk about some predictions last week. The secret life of pets. You said 78. I said 82 actual 75, which is interesting because I only, I only read like maybe three or four little, uh, reviews about this. And the ones that I read were pretty negative. Yeah. Yeah, so I didn't, I, I didn't hear anything about this movie. Yeah, 
I was mildly interested. It, it the trailers looked decent, but it was definitely one that I was planning on waiting for the old VOD or Netflix release. Mike and Dave need wedding dates. You said fifty-eight. I said sixty-two. Actual forty-two. <laughs> it's a double win for you. Nice. Next week, got a big one here. Controversial one. Ghostbusters. Oh, Jesus. Women. Women are in the the Ghostbusters. They're ruining the franchise. It's ruined, Kevin. <laughs> I don't get that whole thing. Like this isn't. From you what can't. I understand, this is not a sequel. This is a complete remake slash reboot. So I'll tell you, I'll tell you right now, it's if separate. You, it, it's completely separate. Yeah, and what it, what like I would like the next Ghostbusters because I hope this movie makes a shit ton of money. And then the next Ghostbusters, you know, that money's going to lure in Bill Murray and them. And what it turns out to be is it's just, it's another department of Ghostbusting. You know, they branched out. And then the next one is them and the original tackling some huge problem that's just taken over the world. That'd be cool. I would love, I would love that. I would, especially I, if, if Moranis came back. Oh my God. Anything can bring us back. From what I understand, he wasn't even approached about doing like a cameo or anything in this one. Mm, that's understandable. I would be intimidated to approach him. Yeah, I think so. But I'll tell you right now, like, you can't ruin something. If you put Kate McKinnon and Leslie Jones in something, like, it's impossible to ruin it. I mean, so far, so early reviews for this have started trickling out, and it's got a, what, 75 on Rotten Tomatoes, I want to say? What does it have right now? 74. So it's, so far, so good. I, I heard it's pretty decent. I'm going to go see it because it looks funny to me. And yes, I, I'm, I want to see it. It's like a, a number of my favorite people right now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so what are you thinking on Ghostbusters? Ghostbusters, I'm going to say, let's say 80. Okay. I'll say 76. I'm thinking that that score is going to go up a little bit. Uh, the Infiltrator, that's with uh, Brian Cranston. I actually know nothing about this movie. I had never even heard of it. Yeah, I started. Uh, I got I got some emails about it, but for some reason, I just kind of glossed over them. I'm kind of doing that anytime now. If if it says based on a true story, <laughs> yeah, I'm just like, nope. Like that's my new U.S. Soul. U.S. Custom Agent Robert Bob Mazur goes oh, deep shit. undercover to infiltrate Pablo Escobar's blood-soaked drug trafficking scene plaguing the nation in 1985 by posing as the slick money-laundering <laughs> businessman Bob Mazzula. <laughs> Woo! Wait, he just posed as a guy named Bob Mazzula? <laughs> it's like he didn't change his name. <laughs> uh, I feel like if you want to know more about that, you should just check out that the Netflix series, that Narco. Is it Narco or Narcos? Or like any of the other things that deal with that. Pablo that Netflix Escobar. series, which is about Pablo Escobar, is tremendous, and I think that and like that one is really going for realism. Like they they try to be hundred percent historically accurate with that show. They hmm. they even splice in like actual footage yeah, and stuff like that. Nice. So I would probably cool. just say go check out that instead of this infiltrator business that doesn't look very good i'll say 42 on that one i'll say 56 all right and limited release next week we have cafe society that's the uh new woody allen film that i'm interested in takes place in uh hollywood and new york in the 1930s and we have um we have jesse eisenberg doing his woody allen character again watch which, uh, i think i think he is a, a really good pick mm-hmm. for the woody allen character yes uh so yeah definitely interested in that one a lot of a lot of people in it and uh that's you know woody allen he comes out with the movie every year pretty much and i'm only interested in maybe one out of every three and this this is one that that definitely has me interested we also have equals uh don't know too much about that one. It's with uh, Kristen Stewart, I believe. Yeah, and uh, Nicholas Nicholas Holt. Oh yeah, Nicholas Holt. Yeah, it's like a love love story. Yeah, it's like sci sci fi sci fi love story. Future devoid of emotions. 
Yeah, it looks like uh, kind of like Gattaca mixed with like Equilibrium. Oh shit! Equilibrium. Uh, we also have Outlaws and Angels. It's the the Western with Luke Wilson, Chad Michael Murray. Oh, watch out! Don't know what to think about this one. It's probably bad. It's bad. I'll just tell you now. It, yeah, looks looks not great. No. That's pretty much it. Not a whole lot coming out oh. next week. Uh, let's see what's coming out on VOD. So we have Tuesday, July 12th, Love Between the Covers and All Girls Weekend. I know nothing about either of those. And then Friday, July 15th, we have Outlaws and Angels and Lucha Mexico, which is, uh, I believe, a documentary about uh, Mexican wrestling. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. On Blu-ray next week. This is for July 12th. Uh, not a whole lot coming out. We got Green Room, which I would recommend checking out. Uh, Allegiant, which is the latest Divergent series movie that got crushed by critics. Uh-huh. Everybody Wants Some, which is the Richard Linkletter one that uh, I highly, highly recommend. As of now, I believe Green Room is number one on my top 10 and everybody wants some is number two so damn we're like the complete opposite people what does that mean it's fun because green because green room is not anywhere like our our one tour is so completely different oh 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 you know what i mean we got that have you seen ever you didn't see everybody wants some yet though no i haven't but i mean i know it's not going to go as your number two do you think i'm going to like it no, I'd, I probably not. I mean, uh-huh. I, I think you'll I think you'll watch it. I think you'll give it a shot, but I think you're going to come away not liking it very much. Do you think I'll like it more than Boyhood? Yeah, I do. I do. Okay. Right. I think you will. I, th- I think you'll enjoy it. I think you'll find it entertaining. I think you'll find it funny because it is. It is funny. Um, so I guess next week Universal is going to be releasing this this new series of Blu-rays called Pop Art which are basically re-releases of a bunch of their films on Blu-rays with uh, um, cool cool covers, like pop art covers. So they have like Psycho, Scarface, National Lampoon's Animal House, American Graffiti, Dazed and Confused. Uh, really cool cover for Dazed and Confused. Um, a whole bunch of others too, like a slew. Uh, Big Lebowski, Weird Science, Wet Hot American Summer, Apollo 13. 16 Candles, The Birds, Lucy for some reason. Lord. Yeah. The Lucy cover is really cool too. I didn't, I wasn't big on that movie, but. Ridiculous. And the, the 2005 Pride and Prejudice. That's, that's interesting. And The <laughs> Breakfast Club. So, you know, if you haven't picked any of those up on Blu-ray yet, you might want to check out these uh, pop art releases because they look pretty cool. <laughs> um, what else? That's pretty much it the the road games movie that came out last year is coming out but it's not again i will say it's not the australian one it's not even a remake of the australian one it's not very good who cares yeah that's that's it i guess anything on the criterion front next week we have one criterion it's from 1962 that is kirk harvey's carnival of souls Mm. i've never seen this I mean, me either. I've been wanting to watch this thing for ages. I know. Yeah, it's definitely been on like, my list of shame. This is like one of the original Criterions, too. Like when we, I remember back when we first discovered Criterion. Mm-hmm. This was one of their. This is one of their titles. I remember back back in the <clears> day, <throat> I was thinking to myself, "I'm going to collect all the Criterions." I'm glad <laughs> I didn't, <laughs> because there's like 800 of them now. Yes, <laughs> I'm just so. And glad you would, that and you would have started try. with DVDs, exactly. And you would have been in that predicament where it's like, shit, do I get the Blu-ray now? I had a ton of Criterion DVDs. I did too. I've sold so many of those. Yeah, I got rid of all my DVDs after I got a Blu-ray player. I kept, I kept the good ones. I kept the Nuggets. I, I, maybe I still have some. I probably still have Rushmore and Royal Tenenbaums. So. Just a heads up, Carnival Souls, young woman in small town Kansas, survives a drag race accident, sold, then agrees to take a job as a church organist in Salt Lake City, sold. En route, she is haunted by a bizarre apparition that compels her towards an abandoned lakeside pavilion. 
sold. This just sounds ridiculous. It sounds awesome. It does. Uh, another one that's getting released on Blu-ray next week is Belladonna of Sadness. That's oh uh. That, that that's one of these uh ones that was like remastered Cinelicious remastered yes. it and they re-released it it actually played in theaters here might still be playing and then blood and black lace is getting a steel book release which looks awesome oh my god i've been waiting for that belladonna sadness you see the artwork on that thing mm-hmm Oof. it's oh very 70s goodness. the artwork oh is very 70s hand-drawn psychedelic give it to me yeah it definitely looks like it's right up your alley. I did hear that it, it it's pretty much centered on rape, though. So nah, I, like I think that. that's yeah, that's gonna that's gonna test my appreciation for hand drawn animation. <laughs> hmm. All right. Well, I think that that's gonna do it for this week. Thank you so much for listening. You can send us your questions and topics to podcast at filmpulse.net. You can follow us on Twitter at filmpulse.net and at filmpulsekevin. And if you have a minute, take a look at our Patreon page, patreon.com slash filmpulse, and consider helping us out by becoming a subscriber. For Kevin Rakestraw, my name's Adam Patterson. We'll see you next week. Uh-huh.